Hey, listeners, welcome back. It's good to have you back for another episode of the Kids Ministry 101 podcast. Has it been a whole week since we did this? It feels like it. Well, it's good to have you back. I hope that your week has gone well, and I'm so glad to have you listening. Uh, we, we have a good friend back on the podcast today. His name is Ken Braddy. He's the director of Sunday School and Network Partnerships at Lifeway. Ken travels and teaches workshops and has a specialty in Sunday school and in groups. And so we've got Ken back today to talk with us about how our kids' ministries can connect to some of the adult ministries that are happening. We certainly need to be aware of what's happening in the adult spaces because we need adult volunteers to serve in our ministries. And what a better place to find and catch some of them with our kids' ministry fish hooks than uh, than going into those adult groups, whether they be Sunday school or small groups. So we're excited to have Ken Braddy back on the podcast. Ken, welcome back. Hey, Chuck, thanks for having me back. Normally, I don't get invitations you know, to come back a second time, so I'm pretty excited about this. <laughs> you and me both, Ken. I get a lot of those first-time invitations that are like, ooh, okay. No, no, no. I'm no, so glad to I'm, have you back, and this we, well, we may need to have you back again. There's, there's a lot of great overlap that happens between the work that you're doing in the adult group space, adult Sunday school space, and what we're doing in kids. And we need to be aware of that so that we can make that connection. So often we get isolated in our own swim lanes it, yeah. we, within our churches, right? Where the, the kids ministry is often in its own wing or its own building and may, may not ever overlap with adult groups unless their parents picking up their kids. So we need to find better ways to make those connections. For sure. Well, last sure. time we talked, we we touched on a little bit of food talk. So you you were here a few weeks back, and we talked about <laughs> uh, about brisket, and uh, yes. and I had asked if brisket is good everywhere, or if it's only like there's a special thing in Texas. You had more to say about Texas food that we didn't get to. So I want to hear the yeah. rest of your story. Now you traveled quite a lot as in your ministry, yeah. Uh, yeah. where you teach and, uh, workshops and lead conference sessions and invest in group leaders all over the country. Uh, and part of that gets you in front of food. So uh, tell us a little bit about what else do we need to know about either what to eat when I'm in Texas? That was one of my questions yeah. Yeah. or, uh, or your food encounters as you travel. Yeah. So, uh, when I go back home, uh, you know, brisket is always something that I like to get. Uh, it's just, it's brisket. just different. It is, it's just different in Texas and I like it. Uh, I don't like it wet. Uh, I like it dry. You know, okay. I don't like them throwing a lot of sauce on it. Just I'll, I'll dip it if I want that. But I always also, when I go back home, not only do I, I make the obligatory barbecue stop, Yeah. But Chuck, I got to find some good Tex-Mex. Okay. I was going to say, we I need, I, I know the brisket. Yeah. That's famous Texas meat. Yeah. Got to have that. But the Tex-Mex, okay, yeah. that's, that is really regional. You can't get that just anywhere. You can't. And, and my favorite dish, uh, my favorite Mexican dish, it's hard to find. And uh, what I like are sour cream chicken enchiladas. Ooh. Put some rice and beans next to it. I'm a very happy camper, you know, and not every place uh, has that. And so uh, I did find one here in the Nashville area and my wife and I like to go there and, uh, you know, and have that plate. I, I like it a lot. But when I'm back home, yeah, it's, uh, you know, let me try to find the even, you know, the uh, off the beaten path uh taco place or even a, some of the chains are actually pretty good. Abuelos is nice, but yeah, ta uh, tacos and Mexican food. Uh, Got to get some Tex-Mex when I'm back home. So for your, did you say a sour cream chicken enchilada? 
Oh boy, yes. Is that it is so, so good? Where's the go to place? This now we're we'll, we'll reach out to this restaurant for a sponsorship for the <laughs> podcast afterwards. Yeah. Where's the go to place if we're in Dallas Fort Worth? Where should we be going? You know, there's a place. I check. I'm blanking on the name. It's in Euless, uh, right there in the heart of Dallas Fort Worth, just next door to Fort Worth. It's literally a hole in the wall uh, that we used to take my father-in-law to when he was living. He loved that Mexican restaurant, and they had the world's best uh, sour cream chicken enchiladas. I'll have to get you the name, but that's where I would go. I found one place here uh, that does it uh, pretty pretty good, so I'm happy. I was thrilled <laughs> uh, because the one time the that I asked home. for it, the one time I asked for it at a restaurant, uh, I was having trouble communicating evidently what I wanted. And when I asked them, could they make me some sour cream enchiladas, uh, chicken enchiladas? They're like, oh, of course. And so when they brought me the plate, it was just cheese enchiladas of sour cream thrown on top. Yeah, of no, like, that's, that's not, not it, it, right? No. That's not it. <laughs> but hey, A for effort, right? A for effort. Well, we'll producer Trey and I will find ourselves at some point in time in Texas this year with VBS preview events. Uh, we okay. get to travel around to Houston and then to Dallas-Fort Worth. And so listeners, if you are, which you should be, doing VBS next summer, you need to check out Lifeway VBS. This year's theme is Breaker Rock Beach, and we travel every January. We'll be in Ridgecrest in North Carolina, here in Nashville, in Houston, and in Dallas-Fort Worth. And so come to a VBS preview event. You can find information at lifeway.com slash VBS. Click on Breaker Rock Beach, and you can find preview events there. Sign up and come. And when we're there, let's talk about good Tex-Mex. I know Trey's looking go. forward to getting some torchies. He's a torchies taco dude. He's over there excited. So I, I kind of am too. I'm not sure if I'll be in Texas this year, Trey, but eat a taco for me if you would. All right, Ken, let's, let's talk a bit more about this whole, you use this term. Uh, that's a fishing yep. term, right? So I'm not a big fisherman, but I get it. You, you talk about how to build a catch and release culture in adult ministry that fuels kids in student ministries. So yes. what do you mean by this catch and release culture? What is that? And how does it impact what we do in the kids space? Well, it, it impacts kids ministry in a big way because uh, in my view, your volunteers that you have in kids ministry really should come out of the adult groups that we've got in our church. Uh, these are people that are committed to the church. They're committed to their group. Uh, these are people that are known and uh, and are probably safe, you know, to to recruit into kids space, kids group ministry. And uh, and so that's that's one reason why it is so important that we make sure that adult groups in the adult ministry understands that they're they've got a vital role to play in supporting the discipleship of our youngest members of our churches. And those are our preschoolers and our kids and even our students. And so uh, that is such an important thing that group leaders understand that, that part of their job, it's not just teaching, it's not just leading fellowships and ministries. Those are all important things. But one thing that they've got to do for us, Chuck, is to make sure that they hold on to those people that are in their groups with a very loose grip. And by that, I mean, they need to be the number one proponents of people from their groups stepping out and stepping in to kids ministry. And I find that sometimes lacking in our adult groups. Sometimes we just don't have that mindset that uh, that's what we're supposed to do. Unfortunately, many group leaders feel like the bigger, the better, you know, the biggest group wins. And, uh, and Tammy and I, my wife and I have started two groups uh, at our church. Uh, here in Nashville. And I have told both groups 
on launch Sunday. I mean, Chuck, they had they just heard one lesson. We just had one experience, you know, and we're kind of deciding, you know, hey, do we like this group? Do we want to be in this group? And I told both groups on launch Sunday that a year or so from now, I don't want to see some of you in here. And I went on to explain to them that God had gifted them. God wants them to use their gifts and abilities and experiences to serve some of our younger kids. And so, Chuck, I was always a huge proponent of folks leaving my group and stepping into ministry leadership in the kids' ministry because that's where some of the fuel comes from. We ought to be a conduit for adults groups. I had a a friend in ministry make this statement. He said, um, the adult Sunday school or your adult groups should be clearing houses, not storehouses. Yes. And that really made a big impact on me. And when I became a group leader at my church full-time, I, I wanted to maintain that mentality. And so we were known, our group was known as the group that was very friendly toward kid ministry. And we were the ones that if we had an opening the kids minister would come to me and say, do you think you could encourage, could you say something about this? Cause you guys have already sent out, you know, one or two couples this year. And Chuck, we always had folks that would leave the group and go and serve. I was so proud of them for doing it. You know, I really was. Can you imagine what would happen in a church if the entire adult ministry had that mentality? Our kids ministries, Chuck, would no longer, they would not lack for leaders. Huh. They would not. We'd have, we'd have waiting lists. And that's what I would love to see churches get to right there. Well, and you know, we, so often we in the kids, uh, kids space as we, as leaders, one of the biggest burdens that kids ministry leaders have is recruiting and retaining volunteers who are qualified, who are safe, who are committed and consistent. And so to, to uh, we, we often try to find them on our own. And so we're looking at this huge ocean potentially, right? In a large church, huge yeah. ocean of people. In smaller churches, maybe not as many people to choose from, right? A lot of us feel like right. there are just not many fish to go after, but we try to go directly to those people most of the time. We make a broad announcement. Yeah. And as a as a marketer, so I've, you know, we've got a background in marketing, working here at Lifeway and understand some marketing lingo and things as we run our ministry areas. One of the things that I remember uh, a, a former employee here at Lifeway named John Emery, who was a great influence in my marketing mindset, John used to say, you need to think of your messaging in terms of seeds, nets, and spears. And so mm. we, we need to be casting broad vision to everyone all the time. And then we need to be casting these nets that bring in, you know, medium, mid-sized messaging that's going to be a little more targeted, a little more specific. But, and then the spear where we identify a particular person that we can target and say, you can, let's you and I have coffee and let's us talk about how you fit here. And I feel like a lot of us kind of go, we seed broadly and then we yes. spear, but we miss that mid-range of yeah. having an advocate who has influence over 25 or 50 or 100 in their group who might be able to be that net level advocate for us as we use this fishing metaphor I, that, that came to mind and I thought that sounded good. So yeah. it, it sounds to me, Ken, like it would be really important for us as kids ministry leaders to build relationships with those who lead group ministries within our churches. It would be crucial. And, uh, you know, at my church that I'm, you know, we're a member of right now, 
Uh, I've been in our group uh, going on about a year and a half or so, and I have yet to see our kids minister come into our group, hang out just a little bit, or maybe come and and you know just spend a few minutes with us so we can get to know the person. I think that would make a big difference because uh, we heard uh, just before Sunday school promotion this year, like two weeks early, Chuck, we had 40 openings in our kids ministry wow. from preschool through sixth grade. And, uh, and people, you know, they'd cast that big net, but yeah. they just weren't catching. And I think some of that is relationship driven that if we uh, had a better connection to the kids minister and to the kids ministry yes. that uh, they might've seen a different response level. So I certainly would applaud uh, any kids minister out there uh, that would spend a few minutes, you know, on a Sunday, maybe a uh, calendar that rotate around to where you're in, in a group. If you can't do that because of other responsibilities, those adult groups are going to have fellowships throughout the year. Mm-hmm. So get on their, get on their calendar and just go, you know, go to the cookout, go to the day trip or whatever. And those relationships that are going to be built with those adult groups are going to pay big dividends when it comes time to recruit. You'll bump into people that you probably don't even know yeah. uh, that you don't know. And, and they'll become targets and, and people of interest that you might want to pursue and have a second or third conversation with down the road without that. You know, it, it just gets more difficult. And I I think of uh, within our church, we have regular adult uh group leader, leader gatherings, where where the leaders of the adult groups come together for a training or for a fellowship. And that would be a great meeting to have a brief presence of some kind or a handout of some kind or play a little video that says, okay, you guys are the group leaders. We can't possibly talk to everyone in the church, but please keep your eyes open and help us find people who can serve. You know, I, one of the things, Ken, that, that, uh, is a, a challenge and a struggle in finding leaders as we often in the kids space, whether by intention or default, often fall back to uh, recruiting people out of need and obligation. Yes. Yes. And I say, when you recruit from a position of need and obligation, it spells N-O, no. If it's just, <laughs> right. we need 40 people and you need to serve, we need anybody who it feels and we need to commit for however long. That's so different than we, yeah. Then when we find people who have a calling uh, to serve or a, or a, a, a passion to serve, yes. uh, or, or at least a strong willingness to even try it out, and so if we can figure out how to move uh, beyond need and obligation to to have some friends out there who can say, well, we'll keep our eyes open within our group. And we'll, we'll certainly partner with you in prayer, right? There's many yes. ways we can ask those, those group leaders when we're at that, say, adult leader gathering of group leaders, would you commit to praying for our kids' ministry in your small yes. group as a, on a regular basis? And would yeah. you uh, uh, announce opportunities and even challenge people to get involved? I would love to see adult groups. Uh, Chuck, it would be great if a, a kids' minister said to the adult team, uh, you know, we want to host a lunch on a Sunday right after church for potential kids ministry leaders. Mm. So could you pray about and identify maybe, you know, two or three couples from your group? This assumes that they are good with the idea of releasing people to yes. ministry, right? And not hanging on to folks, you know, having the biggest class. And uh, can you imagine what could take place at a lunch like that when the kids minister and maybe the pastor are there? And they say, look, you were recommended to us. You were prayed over. We feel yes. like you could be the, you know, some next generation leaders for us. 
in our kids' ministry, preschool or our kids' ministry, uh, maybe midweek ministries, you know, those kinds of things. And, and you go through a, uh, an exploring, you know, what does kids' ministry look like here in our church? What, what would you be committing to? And then giving them some time to pray about it and then circling back. Uh, it'd just be another way, you know, for the adult group ministry to support what's taking place yeah. in our kids' ministries. And honestly, I think the one word that comes to mind here is just intentionality. We yeah. just we just need to do it. We just need to calendar it, talk to the group leaders. I mean, as a and as an adult group leader at my church, Chuck, I'd be thrilled yeah. to try to provide, you know, two or three names of couples and and you know, funnel people out of my group because every time we've ever done that, God has always replaced those people with it's like new people show up. Yeah. It's incredible. We lose two or three couples. He sends us two or three couples. It's like we can't we can't outgive him, you know. We so we're just kind of brainstorming in real time here. So I, I can see uh, the importance of us as kids ministry leaders developing relationships with adult groups and adult group leadership for sure. And I wonder, Ken, might we look for opportunities for a short experience, even a one-off, like if we're going to have a fall oh, yeah. festival or a certain gathering, yes. or we need extra help for VBS, that we might approach a class, an adult group and say, would your group, just the group come and serve? You know, So my, our kids leadership team recently went to serve together at our Nashville rescue mission. And we served breakfast and lunch. Uh, to I saw that, on, there. saw that online. And, we, and yep. that was, I did not have the awareness before that I have now that we went and served for a few hours and yeah. I now have a whole different understanding and passion for what happens there. And I wonder if we might look for opportunities to say, Hey, for this fall festival or for something coming up, uh, mom's night out or something, would your class be willing to come and serve just this one hour, this one time or this one event uh, that might be a great on-ramp to introduce people gently to what's happening in kids so that they can see more and possibly find a calling. Yeah, I love the idea of that gradual exposure and uh, and taking away the fear of the unknown. Because if you've never been in kids ministry, if you've never taught a group or you've <laughs> never served in VBS or you know something else, uh, your mind can invent all kinds of scenarios of what you might experience. <laughs> and you can kind of talk yourself out of and it. And it can be easy but, for us in there every week to forget about how intimidating that can oh, be to newcomers. Very much. But if you have that, that, that gentle exposure you know, that bite-sized exposure, give them a snack and then they, they can have the meal later. Does that make sense? Yes. So yeah, those, those small incremental steps could be, could be crucial uh, to getting somebody into a full-time role in the kids ministry. So I love that idea. So Ken, you like to, I know you like to talk about Amos 312 uh, yeah. with, with, along with the topic of uh, catch and release. So unpack yeah. that for us a little bit. Why, why is this important? What do you see there? This has become a uh, a a almost like a life verse. Not not a real common passage that most of us are like, oh yeah, Amos three twelve, right? We can't. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's not. In fact, I was reading it devotionally. Uh, this was in a summer. Uh, I was reading it. I, I guess just going through minor prophets, I suppose. And I came across Amos three twelve. And Chuck, maybe you've had this experience. You've been reading devotional. You're just kind of you know, hey, I, my job is to read the chapter today. That's part of your, you know, your quiet time. And I was doing that and I read Amos 312 and I kept on going. And about a verse or two later, I went, wait a second, what did you just read back up? And so I went back up to Amos 312. Here's, I'm going to quote it. I don't have an open in front of me, but here's I'm what it says. I'm pulling it up right now. So I'll see if you get it right. It says, uh, as the shepherd uh, snatches two uh, legs or a piece of an ear from the lion's mouth, 
So the Israelites who live in Samaria be rescued with only the corner of a bed or the cushion of a couch. And the prophecy goes on in verse 13. And, and my problem, my hang up when I read the verse was, wait a second, in the opening of verse 12, it says, as the Amos was a shepherd by profession. So he's writing with this experience in his background. So what he's saying is coming from the lives of shepherds of his day. Yeah. And I thought, wait a second, a shepherd would go wrestle with an apex predator, like a lion who had already killed one of the sheep, the things dead, you know, the lions having lunch, Chuck, I'm going the opposite direction. You know, yeah, I, yeah. I don't, I, you I don't want to be dessert, pet, right? I've pet my dog's head before when he was eating and got that, you know, that growl, yeah. right? Not, not cool. How, how in the world, why would a shepherd go do this with an apex predator? Sheep's already dead. I couldn't figure it out. And uh, I finally, after years of thinking about this, I, I ran into a guy last January at a conference and I mentioned this and he said, Oh, I had a class on Amos in seminary, actually had two times I took it. And he said, I can tell you that what you're telling us, your, your theory about this is correct. And I said, well, awesome. And here's, here's my theory, Chuck. Yeah. Uh, a shepherd would go do this because he's not the owner. If he goes out with 30 sheep, mm. he has to come back with 30 or yeah. he has to have a good explanation. So if he comes back with 29, uh -huh. The owner can legitimately say what happened because I own all 30, there's 29 right. and he better, he better be able to say, Hey, look in my satchel. And he produces the two, leg, two legs or, or a piece of an ear or a piece of an ear. He says, look, I didn't take this one and go start my own flock. Right. This one's yours, but I lost this one. It happens. Right. So he'll get a pass on that, but he has to prove to the owner, to the master that he's not, taking his stuff. He knows who's the owner. Yeah. And so I like uh, to, I like to use this verse with our adult group leaders because in every church I've served, Chuck, unfortunately I have heard this. Don't come in here and don't mess with my group. Don't come in here, take my people, uh, you know? Uh, and so I, I have started, you know, having conversations with group leaders, adult group leaders saying, look, Amos three twelve has an important truth here. And that is we're not the master. We are temporary shepherd stewards, temporary shepherd teachers over a group. They're not your people. Oh. It's not your classroom. So when the kids ministry needs people, let's release our folks. They're not yours. They belong to the Lord. Does that make sense, Chuck? Yeah. yeah and, and so we have, we have had that uh, conversation now with, I can't tell you how many group leaders I say this in conferencing. And I, I have a feeling that people are starting to use this uh, in their conversations with group leaders, because we, we have to get to the point that we're playing team ball yes. across the church and the people in my group, they're God's people. He loves them more than I do. He yeah. sent Jesus to die for them and he has gifted them and wants them to use their abilities in service to him. And for some of them, that's going to be in the kids ministry. I need as a group leader to encourage that they're not my people. It's not my classroom, not my group. I'm just a temporary steward. As long as God lets me have that role. There's a natural tendency that I think we all have as fallen sinful humans to be protective of our stuff. My yeah, stuff, absolutely. my people, my space, stay yeah. out. And we want to protect that, right? And then sometimes that's not uh, out of a, of a bad intention. We want to care for the people who are in our group. And if we release them, we may feel like we're losing that opportunity. However, all of that, uh, the, the, the shields, the defense shields 
come down in a context of relationship. When yes. there is trust and respect, we gain the opportunity to influence. That's that TRI formula. And so when we as ministry leaders are known and when we know those leaders, we're no longer a threat. We don't want to be seen as the lion who is shredding that sheep, but uh, as co-shepherds of a greater goal. Now, I think there's something yes. to that, Ken, that we, when we can communicate and coordinate and collaborate across ministry lines, so much good comes out of that interaction. Absolutely. It's the way we've got to go forward in a post-COVID world. This is this would be a great change in many of our churches that we have a, almost like a reset button we could hit. Yeah. And we could say, whatever it was before COVID, we're going to be better partners as an adult ministry to our kids' ministry as we go forward. We're better together. Better together. That's the truth. Yep. Ken, you've got a book uh, called Breakthrough. Uh, Breakthrough, yeah. Creating a New Scorecard for Group Ministry Success, published by B&H, available on lifeway.com. Get that in. And other places you buy books, right? You can find it on Amazon and elsewhere, I'm sure. But we would yep. love for listeners for you to find it on lifeway.com. Tell us just a little bit, Ken, about, about the book Breakthrough and yeah. uh, a little bit of what we might find there and who we might recommend it to. Sure. Uh, I think the uh, the best audience for this one uh, are, are going to be uh, pastors, uh, discipleship leaders on church staffs, uh, could be ministry leaders. And and the premise of the book is that uh, there is we need to have a breakthrough in our thinking about groups. And it's not always that the biggest group wins, mm. uh, that there are other things that groups must do to be successful overall, not just have the biggest group. Because Chuck, sometimes big things aren't the healthiest things, you know, mm -hmm. and that's true. And that's true in life It's true with people. And so in the book, I put forth the idea that I've had, I, I've said this in all churches that I've served for the last 30 years, there are four big tasks and especially in the adult world. Uh, and I build it around the life acrostic L I F E. We need to learn and obey God's word. Mm -hmm. We need to invite other people to become disciples. That's evangelism. We need to form deeper relationships. That's both in the group and with people outside the group. And then the E is we need to uh, engage in acts of service. And that's mm -hmm. both inside the church. We need to release people to go serve and we need to engage in service to people in the community. And that's the big message of the book. It's nothing about, attendance, although I do say in the book, hey, look, we're, we're not going to not count people. People are important. But let's maybe not focus and fixate on attendance, but let's think about other things that our groups must be doing to be healthy. Yeah. And that's the premise of the book. That's a good word. Catch and release approach to, to ministry yeah. and the people that we lead. Ken Brady, thank you so much for being with us again today. It's a pleasure to have you. And listeners, thank you for listening again. Hey, I mentioned earlier in the episode that as we're Ken and I are talking about Tex-Mex that you can find some good stuff in Houston and Fort Worth. Hey, we are going to be there. The Lifeway VBS team will be in those two cities as well as in Ridgecrest, North Carolina and Nashville, just south of Nashville, Tennessee, our hometown. Please join us for a VBS preview event. You can find information at lifeway.com slash VBS. If you are running VBS, you need to come to this. There is nothing like it. It's exciting. It's energizing. It's a January event that lets you be prepared and equipped and ready to go for all things VBS as you anticipate anticipate next summer. So this year's theme for Lifeway VBS is Breaker Rock Beach. Look for it everywhere you find the best VBSs in the world, which would be 
uh, lifeway.com and, uh, and look for Breaker Rock Beach. And maybe we'd love for you to come to a VBS preview event. Look for that at lifeway.com slash VBS. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you back again soon for another episode of the Kids Ministry 101 podcast. 